0: Alright, what's going on? Welcome to Canell and Bell on this Tuesday. It is my Monday. I am back from vacation. Raja's already messing with me. Oh. <laughs> like you're just having, just trolling me, and making fun funny. of my teas, which I thought was perfect. I thought it was Coming great. It was show. so
1: good. It, it drew a chuckle. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Hey, how you say, what, Riri? Just yeah. saying. Yeah. Blew the doors off Maria Sharapova yesterday. You still oh, yeah. sticking to that? No, no, no. Winning. So I'm, she I'm, beat I'm, Maria Sharapova. kind of washed up. I'm just asking <laughs> if you're still sticking with that. This I am. her event. i hoping. Yeah. Oh, it
0: is. Absolutely. Right, Serena right. Williams. So in case you're wondering, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, uh-huh. I made a hot take that I believe I that down Serena Williams it. would not win another major championship. Has she won in those two years? No. Nope. She's been close and she might get close again, but don't come at me until she wins a major.
1: Serena Williams will win the US Open.
0: Oh, this one. Oh, okay. There's your bold prediction right there. There it is. All right. We got a massive show for you. Mark Cuban. That's right, Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, will be joining us at 10:30. Can't wait to hear from him. Lot to get to on Andrew Luck. There is more news. I haven't got to weigh in on either. But first, a lot of football this weekend. You had Miami versus Florida. Your Canes <laughs> lost. That was a rough one for you. Arizona got knocked out by Hawaii. But those weren't exciting. the best moments of the
1: weekend. Let's give you some highlights from some of the action
0: <laughs> over the weekend in your football. Oh. That's oh,
1: young Diabella. it's a sixth yes. grader there. Yes. Yeah,
0: he looks good. Yeah, look, looks good. Now, this is a slow-mo. The form looks good. Okay. Left hand right there. Shoulder pointed at the target.
1: will roll out. Rolling the first out play of the game on offense. Bah.
0: Oh, that was the first play good of the play. game? Yeah, get him outside the pocket, bro. Oh,
1: nice. Dropped
0: in a little touch pass over there to what appears to be his tight end. Little, Maybe. I, I, I Maybe wide been. receiver.
1: I don't, I, I don't know that. Yep. yep another one. He throws off platform easily like, he likes to love run it and, yeah
0: doesn't affect him going really a little short. bit deeper there going over the uh top breaking the top
1: off he said he wanted to replay that because i he love saw, it yeah to see something route.
0: i love it accuracy giving a ball a receiver a ball he can catch and run with i love on the outside so this fantastic. is outstanding that dkb3 if you're wondering <laughs> Uh, shameless plug for the youngin. Oh, you got to get him
1: out there. But this was from the weekend, so big weekend yeah. for him. Well, our family right. gets really fired up, dude. Like we love football. Awesome. Like and we take the we take the like the RV out. We tailgate and like all jokes aside, man. Like being out there with my kids on the football field is is the reason why. Like you know, uh it just bring it adds so much to our family. My grandparents. My parents, like everyone's out there and it's just a, it's a good time. That's like dude. tailgate for youth football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: love it. I saw that. You had the, oh. uh, the, the trailer out there. What is it? Uh, RV? RV. Yeah. RV we take it out, out we're grilling like, in. like eight year old
1: football. We're just looking for a reason to get it in. I love
0: it. So congrats to you. Big yeah. weekend. You guys are going to be uh, quite busy this fall with, uh, the football team there. Um, with this transition here. Yeah. I want to hear it with Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. You saw him retire citing body issues. His body's banged up. All the injuries, the wear and tear it's taken on his body. Is there any part of you that wants to go to your boys right now and say, you know what? Let's start shifting our attention towards basketball, towards golf, yeah. towards baseball, any other sport. No, no I, hesitation. I, because
1: I, I don't like, I don't want to pick it for him. I mean, I, 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 I think at the end of the day, they probably will pick basketball, like in my heart of hearts. But right now, like I want them to have fun. I want them to play what they want to play. I've put them on uh, baseball fields and soccer fields and, you know, even asked if they want to play lacrosse and stuff like that, and it's not what they really want to do. And I was afforded the opportunity to pick what I wanted to play, and I think that's why ultimately I found something I loved, and I kind of like that for them too. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh There is – I did see some articles written, hey, this is a blow to football. This is another reason parents are going to be terrified to have their kids play. My dad, who worked for the Miami Dolphins at the time, tried – I was not allowed to play football until my junior high school. And then even when I started playing and I started getting more opportunity, my dad would be like, are you sure you want to do this? Like It it wasn't trying to talk me out of it. He just knew what it would do to my body. And he was right to some extent. I have back issues. I've had some concussions. But – As a kid, I was like, "So, I want to take that risk." Like, that's one thing that draws us toward it is the violence. It is the, um, you know, the physical nature of the game. That's one reason a lot of people like to play the game. Um, there is something that's dangerous about it, and we are drawn to it. Is this like you? Absolutely. Like we like that kind of the adrenaline pumping
1: in our veins. And conversely, like when you see a kid come out there, that's not about it. You know, really quickly. Yeah. They don't want to be out there. Right? right. Like, and so it's kind of what I told my wife, like as we watch them go, I'm like, look, if there's ever a point where he don't want to do that, he's going to tell you he doesn't want to do it. So right. every year I'm like, Hey man, you guys don't, what's up? What do you guys want to do? And they're like, Yep. Yep. I'm like, okay. Well, then that's what we're going to do right now. You know,
0: so with Andrew Luck, one of the most shocking stories in sports, I think we've seen in my lifetime. Like I don't remember that many stories that came out
1: and it just blew my mind. So right? we, we touched a couple. I'm like, yeah. Out like the MJ first time around.
0: Yeah. Going to crazy. play baseball? What are you talking Correct. about? Yeah. Magic. Monster. Blom, pom, shell and then the only one
1: I could really think of was maybe Pat Tillman saying he's going to go to the Army. Yeah. Do you know what I that mean? That was a good one too, yeah. But, but those three, that's what we touched on. Yeah.
0: Those were absolutely up there. I did see uh, Lene Kakua. Remember member uh, Manti Teow, the linebacker oh, yeah. from Notre Dame. Yeah. With that sh- that he oh. was dating a girl and it was fake. and the That was kind of similar. I just don't think that had the scale because it wasn't an NFL quarterback. Right. Um, Barry Sanders retiring was sort of a surprise, but I, I just those were some really good ones there for me it does come down to cause there's been you know it's like in our society we just do this we overreact to certain stories we, the pendulum just swings one way or the other and you had people criticize Andrew Luck which I think is dumb you had fans boo Andrew Luck which I think is dumb But on the other hand, I do think you see people praising Andrew Luck like he's a hero. I wouldn't necessarily go that far either. I think he did what was right for him, and for that he should be commended. But as far as, oh, this is what everyone should do if their body's falling apart, they should walk away. Then that's stupid too. Like you have to look at this, and it's individual decision that Andrew Luck made, and it's good for him for doing it.
1: It wasn't working for him. Correct. I mean, this is a personal like issue. This is his body. It's his career. It's it's his future. Uh, um, you know, it's his life. So there will be some people that agree with it. I said I supported him yesterday. If you feel like that in your heart of hearts, you can't give a hundred percent. You you don't want to do it anymore. Step away. It's fine. Uh, but I do think it's fair for the people who who. Either question the timing of it um, to to criticize the timing of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like for sure. I, I, it
0: puts the team in a tough spot. It, and when you're a season ticket holder and a diehard fan that's been
1: rooting for the Colts yes, long before Andrew I think Luck it's got fair there, that, you, that you have a gripe with that. But, but and, and to your other point. I think it's ridiculous that, that you're celebrated for doing that. Like, why why would you ever encourage someone to, 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 like, retire unless they were ready to do it? Right. Which he was. Like, you know? So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this because I would
0: say the NFL is very unique to this and it's different than baseball and basketball because of the physical nature of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say 80% of the NFL, this is total, like, just a total estimation would not play the game any further if they weren't compensated to do so. You know what I mean? Like, they would not be playing pickup, you know, or rec league football where you had to practice and you had to go to games just for fun. And I think that would be different – in the NBA and baseball. I think the players genuinely enjoy it more. Yeah. And I think it's a more it's a sport that doesn't take quite as much now they're both physically taxing. You play 162 games in baseball. But different for sure. It's different. And I do think that if you get and this is a problem that the NFL is going to have to start dealing with or at least come into re- the reality is that once players reach X amount of dollars, they're going to walk away younger and younger because they don't truly Love the grind of yeah. playing. Now, if you said you can just go out there on Sundays and play, yeah, a lot of guys would still do it. Right, But it is a toll that it takes on your body. And I would say most of the guys, if they got to their goal financially, sure. they would say, all right, I'm good.
1: Uh, I, I tend to agree with you just because of the physical like inability to get out there and do stuff that you see from some former football players. Uh, but uh, you'd be surprised with how many basketball players once they're done with a career. Because the career itself... Like when you take something that's like pure for you and it's joyous and you love to go out there and do it, and that becomes a job, whether it's football, like basketball, baseball. Once it becomes a job, yeah, it it robs some of the joy from it, you know, and and you lose some of the some of the fun um, that that it used to that it used to hold. And so more basketball players than you think probably don't play basketball. Right, like you might for a year when you're done, and then you're like, you know what, man, like. I don't get the same type of endorphin rush that I used to get when I get in the gym with guys. Like I'm just kind of going through the motion like I'd be in a practice. You got priorities are different. You're like, I don't want, I'm not playing anymore. I don't play basketball.
0: See, I think if there are fans of sports who are listening to the show who have never played a professional sport, find that incredibly hard to believe. Oh. And yet it does at everybody's point, for the most part, it does become a job sure. and it does become monotonous. And I would ask anybody listening, Do you love your job? Do you love going to work every day? If you had made a certain amount of dollars, would you walk away and maybe try something different? And I bet that answer is yes. I would love to walk away, but I can't. Right. And so Andrew Luck, who was in this position, and for whatever reason, all the injuries is what he cited, which I do believe him, for the mental toll that it took on him dealing with this pain, he said, you know what? I'm tired of this. I don't need this anymore. And so I don't think it's that much different. But people have such a hard time wrapping their mind around franchise quarterback. He's got millions more he could make. Right. How could he possibly walk away from this? And yet, I totally understand.
1: Uh, me too. And I think there's something to be said from where he comes from too. Like He 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 came from a family that was pretty secure. So football is not necessarily a means to an end for, for Andrew Luck. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, probably something sure. Andrew Luck was just really good at. Right. You know what I mean? Loved it as a kid. His dad was around it, but, but it wasn't like his vehicle to get somewhere else. And so, you know, the attachment of like, I gotta do this. I have to do this. This is how I'm going to feed my family. This is how I'm going to get to college. This is how I'm going to make a living. It's not, that doesn't exist for Andrew Luck. Like, right. My parents were, my mom was a teacher. You know, my dad, my dad was a teacher for a while and then he wound up at the University of Miami. But like, they hadn't put away enough money to send me to school. Basketball was my job. Like, not cause they told me it was my job, but because I understood, like, That's how I get from here to where I want to go, which is school. And then it became like if I could play pro, this is going to make a living for me. And so, you know, you start to condition your brain to see it that way. It makes it harder when you're conditioned like that to walk away because this is your livelihood. This is what I do. When you're Andrew Luck, and that might not necessarily have been the way you were brought up. This is just what I do, man. I have fun with it. It's a casual thing. I'm great at it. But maybe I don't need it. You can walk away from it a little easier. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Stanford educated or, is like architectural something like he's it's a great thing. He's got a lot of things going for him. Yeah. So, some people quite frankly don't. I didn't. Right. All I, I had that.
0: Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh a lot of players have started to weigh in. Uh Aaron Rodgers weighed in on the fan reaction and Andrew Luck personally too.
2: I thought it was pretty disgusting. Um you know, he's making a really
0: tough decision. And even before that, you know, he makes a decision. I don't know why that doesn't stay in-house to kind of protect protect him a little bit. Although, when I think about it, I thought it would have been, you know, more of a standing ovation type thing and a thank you than, than booze. But um, I said it this morning, I, I 100% respect him immensely for his decision. I salute him for uh, choosing, you know, quality of life. Uh, he's a fantastic player. He had a great career. And he's got a lot to be proud of. So, when I've, and I've heard a lot of different players say, oh, it's disgusting. The reaction crushing the fans, which I agree with, but I don't know why we're so shocked. Yeah. Like we, this is what fans do. Like, and I've been booed a lot. Um, I've seen guys injured when they're, when they go down. Toronto booed Kevin Durant, or he cheered when Kevin Durant got hurt. Sure. Like, was I surprised then? No. It's just, fans do things and it's what makes them fans they're emotional they're passionate and sometimes they cross the line and i just take it for whatever it is like i feel like people are using this as an opportunity to just bash you know indianapolis fans i think any fan base would do this and with any player if they found out the way they did there would be
1: a faction that would boo the way they found out is the 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 most important part of that to me like right he's there you're watching a preseason game and this stuff just starts hitting your phone and on yeah. your Twitter, and you're like what the heck is going on you know so i think Same that was way
0: the toronto fans cheered kevin durant they didn't really realize the magnitude no, of it at it the was time. a
1: split second emotional reaction to, to to what you just saw right and i really do appreciate you know i, I lobby on here all the time for fans not booing uh, booing their home team guy you know right? What i mean like and no athlete wants to get booed by their home team, so I, like, Aaron Rodgers and all these guys coming out having his back, I'm down with that. What else did you want the fan base to do? He says he wanted him to stand up and give him a round and oh, that's unrealistic. That's an unrealistic take on that. Like in the moment, that's the only thing you were going to get out of any fan base was going to be a a spattering of booze and it wasn't the whole place. Right. It was a spattering of booze and some cheers. Like that, that's the best you can hope for when you hear your franchise is walking out of town. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I don't think it's that big of a deal
0: whatsoever, especially considering it's the preseason, right? You're gonna have probably the most diehard fans left at the game in what's already kind of starting to be an empty stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, They're probably it's the fourth quarter. They've been drinking a little bit. You throw in all that, the booze are gonna ring louder than any cheers. Like I don't, I honestly, don't expect people to cheer that news. Right. Like well,
1: when yeah, Aaron Rodgers saying it's not, you're not honoring Andrew Luck. That takes some you perspective know? and a little bit of time to digest. Andrew <laughs> Luck had this right. Like, right. Like, right. So let's no no thank in the moment.
0: No, right. now if this was, hey, he decided in January and it's the first time he's back and. It's Andrew's celebration night How weird! exactly so I think we just again the pendulum we're going to crush these fans no it's what fans do right it's kind of the way it goes out there Jacoby Brissett who will be the starter now for the Indianapolis Colts had some interesting comments as well talking about how Andrew Luck's retirement went down
2: but uh no nah, it was it wasn't weird uh you know I've had I've already had conversations with Andrew so uh, you know that was kind of I was at peace with it uh you know i just wish he could have done it his way uh so that sucked as a teammate to to see that and feel the reaction that we got for from the from the fans from him for him uh you know that hurt more than than anything uh, i was i was shocked uh i mean which i'm sure everybody is y'all wouldn't be here if y'all weren't shocked either but uh i was i was shocked uh and then you know we had a long conversation and it was just you know some emotions obviously going back and forth but you know, you sit down and you you talk to him and you you understand, um, you know, his decision. And uh, you know, I, like I said, it's like one of my good friends, so it's kind of it's tough. But you know, both but I'm sure both of us will deal with it.
0: So, do you think Jacoby Brissett found out there on the sideline? Do you think he had any inclination? Because he said we talked about. It, he said he was surprised. Yeah. But I'd wonder if in their quarterback room, if Andrew Luck had ever. I don't think he did because I think it would have leaked. I think it would have came out earlier. I honestly think he kept this thing hidden, and nobody knew, and that's why it was such a bombshell on that night. Well, somebody knew.
1: <laughs> right. Because it got leaked. It did. I'm inclined to believe that he had discussed that with a select few people. Um, would the backup quarterback be one? If they're as tight as he made it sound like they were. Right. Right? Like, yeah. you know I don't know. If you don't really have that relationship personally with a guy, probably not. But if that's your boy and your team and – all accounts quarterbacks spend all their time together, like on on those days, right? Yeah, I, b- I believe you probably told them. Who
0: do you think uh told Adam
1: Schefter? Man,
0: I think there are three distinct possibilities. Yeah, and I do you don't got suspects. Sort of yeah, suspects. I got three them suspects. Them. I think one is the owner, Jim Irsay. Yeah. He talks a lot, and the, you know the report had he already talked to Jim Irsay, okay, and informed him. Everything. It's Chris Ballard, the GM, because he's obviously in on that conversation. And then this one is the one. It's somebody's agent, whether it's Andrew Luck's agent, Co- is it some, there's an agent what, in there. What do you have element? to gain
1: by doing that? I guess I you're the first two. Like if chat. you're the first two.
0: But think about it. Like when gossip goes around an office, there's always some person that likes to spread the news more than others, right? There's yeah. like a gossip person in there. And maybe that's, that's why I think there's no upside. It's just some people like sharing they information. They like being part of a loose story. Loose lips, yeah. ships. Right? I don't know. I, I was, yeah, but, I mean, look, that, agents that, do because agents, hey, Shefty, type. if I give yes. you
1: this, you come back and make me But look that's why later. I said the first two, and I guess to some degree, you know, uh executives need media like that, too, to control narrative and to get stuff out. So I could see why, you know, Pete feeding a nugget like that, too, you know, Shefty keeps you in the good graces if you're Chris Ballard as well. So I guess he would have an agenda. Ursay's is the only one I don't really understand necessarily, but –
0: I mean, he's just, he's a rare breed. Like, he's, he's kind of off the wall. Yeah, well, like, there he's you go. a guy who likes to talk a lot anyway. So All maybe right. he just was like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and get it out there and told him about that.
2: CBS Sunday after the equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my
1: living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. A tracker. You strong swimmer? So so. So so. So so's oh, okay. Ah! Justin Hartley stars.
2: How survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel off. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool.
1: Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday
2: after the equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount The time has
0: come for drag queens to save the world. Drag
2: Hall's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount+. Plus, and for the first time ever... I want
0: you to use your
2: talent
1: for good for a change.
2: <laughs> eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms of Life.
0: Alright, welcome back to Canell and Bell on this Tuesday. In about 10 minutes, we're going to have Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, join us. Can't wait for that interview, so make sure you stick around for that. Uh, there was an interesting article in Bleacher, uh, about the quarterback room specifically. And it's a term that's used a lot. I don't know if people really understand. Was there, and I mean, it's not that complicated. It is, in the NFL, when you have meetings, there are different meetings. And you spend a lot of time watching a lot of film, installing plays. There are team meetings, yep. which are usually first of the, first meeting of the week. You know, it's Wednesday. You're coming in. Hey, who are we playing this weekend? These are our big picture goals. The entire 53 meant, you know, all the, the, everybody's in the same room and then you'll break up and you'll go to the offense will go to a big room and the defense will go to a room. Yep. That's when you really start installing plays. All right. This week specifically, these are some wrinkles. These are some of our favorites. Um, you'll get a scouting report of the opposing team. Yep. That meeting usually takes 45 minutes to an hour, and then you break up further and you go into your position room. So that's when everybody's talking about the quarterback room. Mm-hmm. So it's literally you, it's your offensive coordinator or your quarterback coach. Sometimes there are both of those, and it's just the quarterbacks. And it is a unique position because, you know, if you have offensive linemen, there's a rotation. If you have wide receivers, there's a rotation. All those guys are going to get to see the field. Really, right. it's one of the few positions where there is one starter and there is a guy who plays if he gets hurt or he doesn't play well. Right. Which can bring some really interesting dynamics. I've been in some very healthy quarterback rooms, and I've been in some very unhealthy quarterback rooms because there's got to be a trust that, hey, everybody knows it's cutthroat business. But you're not going to stab me in the back to do to make yourself better, correct? Right? correct. Um, I was in some of those. <laughs> uh, I prided myself towards the end of my career when I got back in with Denver. I thought I was the perfect backup. Yeah, like, I why, really, What? What? Didn't what, because what does I, was, that I was okay with my role. Yeah. Like I knew I was I wasn't in there saying, "Hey, I should be starting. I'm better than Jake Plummer. Right. You know, I should um every minute I can try to prove that to everybody." Yep. No, I was okay with my role as a backup. I had good work ethic. I pushed Jake, um, intellectually when we were watching film, asking him certain questions. During games, I felt like I had seen enough football where I could help him. Hey, did you see? And he didn't take his offense. He didn't take it like you were trying to be
1: smarter than him. Right, right. Exactly. Um, you were support, you were there for support there unless it was your job. Exactly. But I
0: was also ready to play if I had been there. Um, but it is interesting dynamic, especially with some of the rooms that we're seeing unfold this year. Joe Flacco, earlier this offseason when they drafted, the Broncos drafted Drew Locke, he said, quote, I don't look at that as my job being a mentor. My job is to go win football games for this team. I totally agree with him. I just thought that was a quote that made him look really sensitive, where you can have that mentality, but you want to air that out.
1: Yeah, there's you know? there's one of those things like why say it when we were uh Johnny uh, not Johnny Manzel, but um Baker, uh, Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. You say yeah. why, like what's the right. point of saying that? Right. Like you don't say that. And that that does give you a little insight into that room. I would bet that he's not a And he's kinda I don't know, he comes across.
0: I've never met Joe Flacco, but he comes across a little bit more aloof, I don't know, not the most like fun loving, hey, loosey goosey type sure. of guy. And you know what else he doesn't have for him? A really entrenched career in Denver. It's his first year there too. So he's trying to establish himself maybe a little bit more insecure about, Oh, let me help this young rookie in there. Right. Um, Eli Manning hasn't commented on Daniel Jones specifically in the mentor role, but I envision him as the consummate professional who's going to do and say the right
1: things. And, and there's a relationship there prior sure. to, right. to their relationship with Coach the Giants, Cutcliffe
0: right? at Duke. Yeah, they have the right. same
1: quarterback. You know, guru who taught them all. It seems like I mean, the higher someone is drafted, and the older the current quarterback is, the more probably uh, contentious that relationship could be. Right, you know, you know what I mean? Just right. human nature. You're like, oh man, this is my this guy. They're grooming him to to take my job. Um, you know, I always felt. That, and I had really good vets. Like I had, um, when I was in Philly, I had Aaron McKee and Eric Snow, even Dikembe Matumbo would look out for me, Allen Iverson. And, you know, when I got to, when I got to Dallas, I had some great ones too, like Nick Van Exel and Steve Nash and, and, um, you know, Michael Finley was a really good vet to me, Walt Williams, like really, really good solid vets. They helped me on the court, Danny, to the degree that they could. Some of that stuff I wasn't ready to, to see or take in yet. Like they had just had, you know, a decade's worth of experience. My eyes didn't see it the way they did. But where they helped me the most was off the court, like learning how to be a a good pro, right? Learning where to eat instead of going to McDonald's and Wendy's and learning, you know, how to take care of my body after practice and, and be in a cold tub and get in the weight room, even though, you know, I didn't want to be in the weight room. Like those were the things that I thought having a good vet helped you with the most on court. Yes, they can help you walk through some things, but ultimately it's going to be whether you can catch up to the speed and whether you're going to be able to be a pro but that off the court teaching you how to prepare yourself teaching you how to kind of navigate you know what could be the pitfalls of like a professional career i thought those were the most important things that i took away from a lot of the vets that i had and I, and i had some you know i tried to be a vet um a good vet to you know Gerald Henderson and 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 um Gordon Hayward and those guys but there comes a point in your career where you get to being a good vet not everybody like when i was young i didn't want to be a good vet Right. Because I was still trying to eat. Right. Like, I was looking around like, You know that guy's going to take off the table. You drafted him? Like, I'm young still. Like, I'm 30. (laughs) I'm not 35. Like, you know, and so I wasn't ready to be a good vet. But as I got older and I realized I was coming down to the end, I tried to be a better vet um, and reciprocate because I had great – you know, or at least, at least pass it along. You know what I mean. I had good vets when I was young.
0: When I was drafted by the Giants, um, it was a surprise to everybody in the Giants organization. Like right. they thought they had their franchise quarterback in Dave Brown, although he didn't play that great. He was still kind of younger. Mm-hmm. Didn't he, like they were up and down. They didn't coming off. They weren't coming off a great season, so he wasn't exactly thrilled to see me walking in that door sure. as a fourth round pick. Uh, the backups were kind of entrenched where you had Tommy Maddox and Stan White who was out of Auburn. Okay. So they had three guys that got along pretty well and then I'm thrown into the mix and they know it means one of them is going to get cut. Yep. Cut. Um Starting off, it was a little bit Dicey, a little bit cold. Yeah. Um, you could tell they weren't exactly opening me with open arms saying, sure. Hey, welcome to our so squad. Come to our club and one of us has to leave. But like one of the, like the first things I did was try to diffuse that as much as possible. Come in with as much humility. Hey, I'm sure. here to work. I don't know if I'm making the team. Like, and that was generally my attitude. I was yep. like, I just hope I make the team. Like right. I was, and even though, you know, guys on the team were like, Oh, you're a fourth round pick. You're good. I didn't take it that well. Right. And I wanted them to know that. Um, I tried to do as much as I could, as far as you know, like when you're doing drills, some guys will pop up there right away and try to be the first one. Yeah, I just you know played your position, deferred like, to them. Yeah, hey, sure. you guys go. I'll get my rep when I'm t- when it's time to go to my rep. But there were little things that I felt like helped me in that transition where it started off a little cold. But once they saw, hey, I'm a good guy, like I'm not trying to, I know it's going to happen, yeah. but I'm not out there actively trying to undermine you, then I think they're all good. And yeah. little things as far as like brown nosing, little situations, what time to be at meetings, I was like, hey, what time are you guys going? Let's all go together. And, be, you know, like I don't want to be the first one. You know, like even though, you know, selfishly, I'm probably like, it would make me look really good, yeah. but it would make
1: them look you don't bad. You not show anyone up. Exactly. You know, right? You don't want to make them feel like you're trying to show them up and whatever. Who got cut?
0: Uh, my man Stan White. Oh no, it was, uh, Tommy Maddox got cut. Sorry, it was Tommy Maddox got, Stan White got cut the next year. Uh-huh. <laughs> Both of them, and Dave Brown. It was like totally new after my rookie year. All of them were gone. Um, uh, but. <laughs>
1: They're cursing like, you somewhere
0: right now. <laughs> exactly. They
1: that might damn be. Damn Danny Canel. <laughs> they did all right.
0: It wasn't all me, man. It was part of the NFL. And you always get that, uh, situations, you know? It's just kind of when you get in, uh, get into those, it can be interesting. When I was on the Broncos towards the end of my career, the Broncos, Drafted a seventh round quarterback, and then they took one in free agency. And I was looking at them very skeptically, and they did the same things that I did. Yeah. So then we all kind of hit it sure. off. And then I got cut for one of them down the road, and I was like, "That's part of the business." I wasn't mad. I was mad at the Broncos. I wasn't mad at the guy who was you know trying to take. I think job. that
1: speaks to like what kind of human being you are, right? Like, it, it, there are some guys that never will let will let you in as that younger player, no matter what they're protecting their own. Like, do you know what I mean? It's a very selfish approach, right? Like they're just trying to beat you. Don't care. Most guys, first reaction is to look at something new that, you know, is there to kind of probably take your place or play your position. And you are going to have some resistance to that. It's human nature. But if you're a good human, Once you get to know that guy and see that, hey, man, this guy's coming up the same way I did. He's on the same path, same grind, like just trying to make a living out of this, trying to fulfill his dream. If you're a good human, you take that guy under your wing and you develop a relationship, right? You understand, like, all right, dude, we're all in the same situation. Let's keep it moving. There are guys that are good human beings, though. Right. And they will never (laughs) let you (laughs) in. Ever,
0: (laughs) no matter what you do. I have some of those. That might be a podcast. Yeah, correct. (laughs) All right, welcome back to Canal and Bell. We are efforting Mark Cuban. Dude, that big, that's exactly like a lot on his plate. We're hoping we get a hold of him. If we do, we'll pop in and just right. get to it. But until we get that, um, Ezekiel Elliott was doing a feature with Maxim Magazine, and he made some interesting comments. I always wonder when these take place, like how recent to right. the story that's happening right now. Because a lot of these off-season interviews like Baker Mayfield did with GQ, that was from months ago. Right. And all of a sudden it just drops, and everybody's like, ah, they freak out. Um, Zeke had this interview where he said, I love playing for the Dallas Cowboys. I love the organization, my teammates. I do want to be a Cowboy for the rest of my life, and hopefully that's a possibility. But even Emmitt Smith, the greatest running back ever, ended up going to play a couple years for another organization. So just like the nature of the game. But I want to be a Dallas Cowboy for as long
1: as I can. Um, Whether this was recent or it was two months ago. the right thing to say. And the timing couldn't be more perfect for him right Right,
0: now. Right, right. It was great. Right, because Jerry, I do think Jerry Jones has been playing up the media. Sure. And portraying all these guys as selfish individuals who just want to raise, I'm all about
1: the team. Jerry, pick up game to 11, Jerry's up (laughs) 9-0 right now. As
0: far as the PR. That's correct. For sure. And it is harder. This is one thing where NFL players, whenever they do hold out, they are portrayed as greedy, which drives me nuts. This is where I do take the player side and say, no. If Zeke had not performed, he would have gotten cut. They would have said, "See you later." Yes. They're not going to bring him back. They don't honor all of your contracts and rookie contracts for the most part are guaranteed. But they still would they could trade you, right? If they didn't like the way you're performing, so there's no loyalty from their side. So whenever I hear you know uh, fans call in and get upset, I'm like, no, no, no. Hold on a second. Um, as far as what does this mean for the the conversation of the the contract negotiation. I think it just is what it is. He did go on and referenced the Todd Gurley deal, which I think is unique. Mm-hmm. He said, until the very recent deal with Gurley, I think there was an undervalue of the running back. But with guys like Gurley getting drafted so high, then me, and now guys like Saquon getting drafted in the first round, uh, I think we've done a great job of bringing back the value to position, showing the importance of the running back hope he's right. Well, for his I, sake,
1: I talked about this last week. Uh, whether whether he's right or wrong, whether owners want to continue to pay premium dollars or they're going to start paying premium dollars for running backs again, once that market is set by Todd Gurley and you're the next guy up who is a top-tier running back, it's not in anyone's best interest for you to take less than he got. The market continues to get set higher and higher, a lot of the quarterback market, the wide receiver market. Don't don't take le- don't don't make it a habit of taking less if you want to continue to elevate the the pay scale for running backs
0: all right we got him your former boss okay. we got him. mark cuban owner of the dallas mavericks joining us now on cannell and bell mark how are you doing this morning
3: good guys what's up sorry, sorry i'm running late i'm at my oh. hop just finishing up uh, breakfast Are hey, you gonna
1: <laughs> pink slip in your locker mark <laughs>
3: I know, man. Might change the
0: number. <laughs> I love it. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. We really do. Let's start it right off with, uh, Christophe Porzingis and Luca, your rookie of the year showcasing their pictures in the gym. They've been out there, look like they're flexing on everybody. What has that done for you and your transformation? Are these guys challenging you as the owner or what? Yeah,
3: basically. I told them I had to look like Raja Bell in his prime, but it's over. Um, <laughs> you know, they- these guys have got to get ready. And, and you know, the league used to be, like Roger when he was with us, guys would come to camp to get into shape. Now guys come into camp ready to go, flexed in. And these guys know, particularly KP, because he's coming off an injury, that they've got to be ready. And Luca knows, you know, that he kind of tailed off a little bit at the end of the season, and he doesn't want to see that happen again. And so these guys are ready. Um, the whole team knows that the West is wide open. We went have having one team with five all-stars, give or take, to, you know a bunch of teams with two superstars and we think our young guys can push themselves up to that level as well so anything's possible but you've got to be prepared and that's been our message to them
1: mark let me ask you about Luca specifically because you know obviously he came in and he, he took the league by storm you guys pulled the swap on draft night uh, to acquire him and it, it, watching him I I, I asked the question I don't know if it's a fair one or not but I'm gonna ask you do, is his success um, it, at is the fact that he was more successful than most rookies last year more because he played as a pro for four or five years and he was already conditioned to the pro game? Or is he just that much better and going to be that much better of a player generation for the generation of his, of his class, uh, in the NBA?
3: It's, it's skill, talent, and size. I mean, he, he has a great basketball IQ. He's got amazing court vision. Um, and because of his height and strength, he can, he can, man up on guys, you know, he can be physical with guys because of his strength, and because of his height, he, he can make a pass over a guy. I mean, Roger, you know, like, there's guys who who get you the ball ready to go, you know, and when you look up, it's there. And then there's guys, you know, you're running the court hoping they see you, right? Every guy in the court knows that Luka is going to see them and get in the ball right where they want it when they need it, and that's what makes him special. He, you know, when when you compare him to like smaller point guards, he might be great, um, whether they're vets or rookies or whoever, but not only does he have the vision, not only does he have the anticipation, um, but he's got the size to be able to, to see you and get you the ball. And it just took him a little bit of time at the beginning of last year just to adapt to the speed of the game. Now, the fact that he played with men his entire life, I think that helped him off the court um, more than it helped him on the court because he was already mature enough. You know, guys come into the game today at 19 – you know, they're coddled growing up. They may not know how to set up a checking account. They've never rented or leased a car or bought a car. They've never signed a lease. You know, they they just don't have the off court stuff together yet. And so there's a whole off-the-court learning process that Luca didn't have to go through. And I think that's really what helped him, um, you know, from the perspective of what did he learn in Europe.
0: Does the NBA have to do a better job of that? Is that up to the organizations? Is that up to the league to get, especially when you look at the one-and-done rule, probably going away, you're going to see more high schoolers go there. Who's Who should that fall on? Or is that just to the players to kind of get up to speed on their own?
3: No, it's everybody. I mean, um, like, Roger, were you there when we had Donnell Harvey with the uh, math?
1: No, I came the year after that. Or the year before that.
3: Oh, the year after, okay. Yeah, Donnell was like our first guy who... You know, we we literally had to have somebody that we had to walk him through. Great kid, right? Great guy, but he hadn't been through being on his own at all. I mean, and so we had to basically babysit the whole process. And so I think what's different today is kids, because of social media, are much more aware of how people perceive them. And so I think agents are going to step up some in helping to prepare them. But I think when we get to none and done and kids, are coming straight from high school, I think we're going to have to have a lot more programs involved, not just individually with the kids, but also with their families and with their agents. You know, there's just, it's like going to college for the first time. It's like graduating early, you know, I guess in college and having to face all those challenges of adulting. And it's going to come, you know, when the none and done kids are out, it's going to come down to the NBA and the teams putting together the programs. But, again, I think the key is you can't just do it for the kid coming in at 18. You've got to do it for their entire family because you guys know, you know, it's not only the pressure of the NBA and performing on the court and dealing with your team off the court. It's also the pressure from your family and friends and how you deal with them. And I think we will have to learn to be a lot more inclusive. That's part one. Part two is we've got to replace AAU. I think that's a big cause of the consternation of problems. That we face and I'm a big fan of starting to do academies where we, you know, we we take kids who are in the Dallas area and develop them so that they're performing not just on the court, but also doing well in school and understanding that, you know, basketball IQ isn't just about what you do on the court. It's about how prepared you are for life because so few are going to make it. So I think there's a lot of obligations for the teams and, and the NBA, but a big part of it is going to be doing our work when the kids are 13, 14, 15 years old in terms of really you know, being realistic about their their chances and what it takes.
1: Really interesting uh, concept there with the academies and stuff and a great point about family having to be educated when you come into the league as well. I always felt, Mark, like having good vets, and we just had this conversation before you came on, um, what's part of that process, like getting me acclimated to playing you know, in the NBA and learning how to do those things that you just alluded to with the bank accounts and buying cars and, you know, just doing things that grown men do. I want to ask you about Dirk. Um, you know, he's a great vet. He was young when I was there, but he's a great vet now and his relationship with Chris Stapps, you, you know, you see them and you could see the physical similarities. Is he involved? Is Holger involved, uh, with, with Chris Stapps and trying to grow his, grow his game and continue to uh, blossom as a pro?
3: Holger wasn't, but Dirk definitely was, um, you know, they would work out some together before games and, you know, Dirk Raja, I mean, he's not quiet. <laughs> Dirk's going to tell you what's on his mind, usually in the form of a joke or, or some, some, you know, unique remark. And, and so, yeah, they definitely bonded and they definitely got to know each other. Um, you know, Dirk, Dirk is an icon and I think every kid, you no know, matter where they're from, looks up to him. And so, you know, especially in his last year where Dirk really wanted to, to, you know, not only see, see everybody, you know, just make that tour and, and enjoy his last moment, but also make sure that he had an impact on guys like KP and Luka and our other young guys, Jalen Brunson, etc. I mean, that's just the kind of guy Dirk is.
0: Mark, I'm curious to hear your standpoint from uh, owner's perspective, because across the NBA, we've seen more... Uh, and more power being given to the players, and they've wielded it. They're getting out of situations they're not happy in, whether it's a franchise and they're asking for trades, sitting out, forcing trades, um, leaving through free agency. So this power that's been given to the players, and they've taken ownership of it, has really been praised. As an owner, does it make you nervous when you see the players having more power, or where? what, what are your thoughts when you see these things unfold?
3: Uh, not at all. I mean, look. Unlike every other professional sports, we're a talent-driven league. You couldn't, you know, on the Dallas Cowboys here, here in Dallas, you know, you can name Ezekiel Elliott, you can name Dak Prescott, and you can probably recognize them if you saw them. If you know the other 51 guys on the roster, you probably wouldn't recognize them if you saw them. Unlike the NBA, where you know between NBA 2K and social media, you recognize, you know, typically 15 guys on the roster, and so we're already a much more talent-driven league, but we get the benefits of that. You know, our guys have the biggest social media followings. Our guys have the biggest social impact when there's issues around the country, around the world. And so, you know, guys have made the effort to develop those followings and to build themselves as brands, and the NBA is the only professional sport that's really benefited um, from that. And the trade-off to that is talent has more power. And in reality, that's just real world. I mean, in my technology businesses, if you're somebody that's an expert, In AI, if, if you're a data scientist, you get, you're, you're always a free agent and I have to find ways to keep you happy and to keep you as an employee because, you know, there, there's no CBA. There's no tampering rules in real world. And so if there's a great employee, then somebody's always coming after them and you have to adapt and and be prepared to, to work to keep them. And so now that's just come to the NBA. So I don't have a problem with it. And I think this summer it's really benefited the NBA. We went from the Warriors being a dynasty to it being wide open. And the best way to evaluate that or to judge it is to, you know, from our ticket sales. Last year, you know, there there were two teams that never played to an empty seat. LeBron and really whatever team LeBron's on doesn't play to an empty seat anywhere in the league. And the Warriors don't play to empty seats anywhere in the league. Everybody else, you had to hustle to sell tickets. Now, that's different. You know, you're going to have Two two stars on a lot of different teams. So now the Lakers and still the Warriors with Steph. Now the Clippers, a little bit more so the Bucs. You know um, now maybe the Rockets um, might be a draw. So you're going to have more teams that are able to sell more tickets, and that benefits the entire NBA.
1: Mark, let me ask you: You got Rick Carlisle; he's the second longest tenured coach in the NBA, uh, and Donnie Nelson's the second longest tenured GM uh, in the NBA. Haven't made the playoffs since 2016, but you guys are right back. Um, headed in the right direction. Uh, you got a great young nucleus as well. Talk about like your approach in a day and age in the NBA where there's no patience with the coaching position or the general manager and executive position. Uh, your approach to it because you guys have been really solid, um, and, and kind of steadied the ship right through here. Well,
3: there's two different things. One is Dirk, right? Dirk has done so much for me personally, the team, the organization, the city of Dallas that I made a commitment to him long ago that I would never turn my back on him. And so even though, you know, he wasn't playing at the same level the last couple of years, we, you know, we weren't going to do like some other teams have done and let's just see what we could get for Dirk. And, you know, in some respects, it was great for the organization. And in some respects, it made it a little bit difficult more difficult to attract free agents because guys know that, you know, 2018 Dirk wasn't the same as 2011 Dirk. That You know, Father Time's undefeated, and that's just a reality. And so, you know, that commitment to me was more important than anything else. Now, that said, we also knew that at some point, you know, from the time I bought the team, we, you know, went 15 years without a losing season and 10 straight years of 50 plus. I mean, we, since I bought the team, we have the second best, um, record in the NBA. We knew at some point that we were going to have to suck. <laughs> you know, you can only stay in the middle so long. And so, you know, we decided that, you know, the last couple of years, that was, this is the time to do it. Um, and fortunately it led us to Luca. It gave us the assets to trade for KP. And so now, you know, we're young. Um, we've got incredible potential, now we just got to prove that out. And so we'll get back probably, you know, once once we're confident in what KP and Luke are doing on the court and the people we put around them, you know, then we can figure out what we need and fill in around them. Um, you know, it, it takes a team to win, it takes team chemistry to win, and, and sometimes that's harder to put together than people realize. But we, we've really, really tried to put together a group of guys that, Are not only talented that not only complement KP and Luca, but also are good guys that can have good chemistry together. But now, you know, now you got to play the games and see what happens.
0: Mark, a few weeks ago, you had some interesting comments on Team USA basketball, saying Carmelo Anthony absolutely deserved a spot on that roster. Now that they lose over the weekend to Australia, does that validate your your comments?
3: I mean, you never know, right? I mean, it's hard to say Australia is pretty good, but I think it's more than that. I mean, go back to what I just said about Dirk. Dirk earned the right to be a Dallas Maverick his entire career, whether he played 20, 21, or 51 years. Um, and I thought Carmelo, given the impact he's had on USA basketball, earned that same right as well. Um, you know, people have asked me, well, if you wanted him so badly, why don't you put him on the maps? Well, it's a different game, different situation, different season. Um, but no matter what, if you're part of USA basketball and the game, the international game is such that it's, you know, the court's not as big, the rules are a little bit different, the three point line's not as far. He can contribute there. And as long as you can get him agreed to accept his role you know, whatever pop decides that to be, then he should be on that team. You know, he's earned that right. And so it's it's not even about contribution. It, it's really about the fact that um that Mello has been part of that team for so long. I mean look, you know, this is just my opinion but if if LeBron was on crutches, they'd probably pick him to be on the team, you know, and I, I because he's earned that right. And I think Carmelo's earned the same right as well.
1: Yeah. Carmelo is as gifted a scorer as there have been out there, like pure scorers, um, at least that I've seen. And I want to ask you about some comments made by another scorer. He happens to be in Texas. Daryl Morey, um, about a week ago said, James Harden is a better scorer than Michael Jordan. What What's your reaction to that, Mark? Do you agree? Do you disagree?
3: Well, it's a different game. Yeah. it The mid 90s game was 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 brutal, right? You came in right at the tail end of that, Roger. But you know, when we were changing the rules, and um, it was a much more physical game. So being a gifted scorer back then, meaning being able to deal with physicality, now there's so much more space, and because of you know five five out, you know five being able to shoot the ball, um, that you have the opportunity to score more. And you know the three-point play is more prevalent, or three-point shots more prevalent. So I mean, I think Daryl's right in terms of absolute analytics. But the, the real question is, if you put Michael Jordan in today's game, he might struggle some because he wasn't a pure three-point shooter. I, that, well, that's wrong. He wouldn't struggle. He'd, he'd be incredible, right? But I don't know if he'd be as efficient. But knowing Michael, he'd probably figure out how to be a 45% three-point shooter, and that would change the equation. So. Let me rephrase it all. If you put Michael Jordan in today's game and he improved his three point shot like you know he could, then I say Michael Jordan would be the more gifted scorer in today's game because he's more multifaceted. James Harden in today's game, analytically driven with lots of space and only shooting layups and three pointers, I think for today's game, he has optimized his scoring. So, you know, I think comparing our this era versus last era analytically, I think Daryl's right. Um, harden is the better s- score for today's game, but I don't think you it's apples to apples. How's that for a long convoluted answer?
0: <laughs> I'm w- very curious to hear your take on the NFL because you are one that's not been afraid to criticize them before in years past. Um, it is the the question I have for you is what advice would you have for NFL owners because the relationship between the owners and the players, in the NFL is so different than it is with the NBA owners and its players. Um, it's much more of a partnership in the NBA. With the NFL, it's us versus them, and it just doesn't seem. It's very contentious. What, what advice would you have for NFL owners as far how they can make that relationship better and make the NFL then look healthier, I would say?
3: So the NFL sells the NFL. The NBA sells its players, right? The NFL markets the NFL. The NBA markets its players, and players drive who we are in the NBA. Like I said earlier, you couldn't identify ninety percent of the of NFL players if they were standing right in front of you. That's a big part of their core problem. If you look at the NBA, so, uh, the social media following of NFL players, it, it's not that big, right? I mean, I don't even know who the largest is in the NFL, but you know, what do they have? You know, they probably have fewer followers than I do on Twitter. And so that's an issue for NFL players, and i'm I'm thinking it's by design from the NFL because that's what gives them more leverage. Um, NFL players don't make nearly as much off the field, you know other than the quarterback and maybe one skill position player, you know, maybe two per per city per team um, as NBA players do because they just don't have the brand or visibility. That gives the NFL a lot more um, negotiating power. And I think that's something that that the NFL should be helping their players with more. That's part one. Part two is CTE is a real issue, and and I don't know that the NFL has owned it. Um, I know there's a settlement, you know, but you know when you see Oliver Luck not really a CTE type thing, or Andrew Luck um, like it's not a CTE issue, but you see other players retiring early because they're concerned about you know their brains. That's something that has to be addressed. And yes, the NFL has changed the rules, some, and I give them credit for that. But they've got to own it and say, this is a problem, and they've got to say, this is what we're doing to fix it, and then fix it. I have a, a nine, about to be 10 year old son, and I've already made it clear that, you know, my wife made it clear that he's not playing tackle football. Now, it's also different in that he's more interested in Fortnite than he is in the NFL he's been interested in the NBA but he knows that's his meal ticket in the future so I can't really judge that but his friends even aren't nearly as into the NFL as you know we were as kids so you know and the participation in tackle football is way down um, and that's that inherently is a problem for the NFL so I think they need to, to really address these issues um, otherwise it's going to get continue to get more difficult Um So I, you know, I don't know that there's a short-term answer, but I think it's something that with athletes in general, the the brand and the talent and the visibility and the sellability of the athletes in professional sports today drives success. And look, I get that the NFL dwarfs the NBA in television, but you know, I think that's going to change. I'm not going to put a timeline on it like I've done before, but I think that's going to be a long-term problem
0: for him. Mark, really appreciate the time and insight. Great interview. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mark.
3: Yeah. Hey, for you, Raja, anything. You know that. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Appreciate Congrats
0: it. on a great show. Ah, uh, fantastic stuff. That was Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Really appreciate him taking the time. Obviously, the connection to you was why he got him on. Hey, fantastic stuff. That was great. He's
1: a, he was a fantastic owner. Yeah. Real talk. Like, I I, I, he was a fantastic owner. Yeah,
0: and he's got really good, smart insight that I think every owner should listen to and yeah. take heed to. The relationship of the players was the thing that stuck out to me. We're selling the players. NFL definitely sells the shield. Uh, all right, that's a wrap for us. We went a little bit long, but I think it was worth it. We'll be back with more Canel and Bell tomorrow. Enjoy the day.